right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sally here. Got a uh, shorter interview for you today. It is 30 minutes long with Darren Clark. Uh, recorded this last week at the Constellation Furick and Friends. Tournament weeks are always tough, especially in person, to get guys for longer than 30 minutes. But Darren packed a lot into this. I promise it is worth uh, listening to and, and considering a full episode. Usually we shoot for the full hour, but we packed about an hour's worth of stuff into 30 minutes and greatly appreciate Darren's time. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Original Penguin, which is the brand you wear for the good times. They've got stylish apparel for your whole closet and your game. I can attest to this because I've got an entire closet full of Original Penguin gear. I wear their polos, I wear their sweaters, I wear their hoodies. Pretty much every pair of shorts you see me wearing in any video that we've ever filmed, they're original Penguin. I got them in all kinds of different colors, sizes, shapes, all kinds of different stuff. This is, this iconic American brand was born in 1955 as Munsingware, and it's now known as Original Penguin, worn by masters of leisure and sports, true legends of the game, and now a full lifestyle brand with streetwear, loungewear, golf, apparel, tennis collections, and even pickleball gear. I love going to the website and just looking at it, knowing that I probably shouldn't send them an email every three months asking for more clothes, but it's really, really hard to resist. I've got nothing but great things to say about Original Penguin. They have it all for you and your original style. So go to OriginalPenguin.com, use code NLU, and you get 20% off site-wide. OriginalPenguin.com, code NLU for 20% off site-wide. Also, a shout-out to our friends at BMW. You thought BMW was just the ultimate driving machine, but it is so much more. It is also the ultimate electric driving machine, the ultimate buddy's trip machine, and the ultimate design machine because the ultimate cannot be contained to just one thing. All electric, all BMW. Visit BMWUSA.com to learn more about the iX and the i4. Without any further delay, here is Darren Clark. So I love asking the Champions Tour guys this. So what do you still hope to achieve in your golf career? Most athletes by age 54, I believe you are. Uh, are are done playing their sport professionally. Golf is unique. So what 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 keeps you going? What do you want to still accomplish in your golf career? Yeah. Well, first thing first things first is you called me an athlete there. That's it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm more an athlete sitting at the bar these days, raising my right hand. But anyway, what do I still want to achieve? Because you know, it's been a, been a bit of a funny year for me, especially this year. Last year in tour, I won three times. And this year, I've won once, but. Basically, if I had to pick a tournament that I wanted to win when I was playing on the main tours, it would have been the Open Championship. That was my one being from Europe, obviously being from Ireland. You know, as a young, whatever, 11-year-old, 10-year-old, out hitting balls on the putting green, this is for the Open, this is for the Open, that five-footer, this is for the Open. If you lipped out, okay, this is in the playoff to try and <laughs> try and win it. And I fulfilled that at um, a late stage of my career, but uh, I fulfilled it. And then when I turned 50, obviously coming out here and playing the Champions Tour, it's a wonderful place to come out and play. The standard's so high and the guys can still flat out play. But the, the one I wanted to win more than anything was the Senior British Open. And then I achieved that this summer, which is very proud to, you know, have both jugs and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if you saw the, the picture on Instagram page of the two jugs down the mm-hmm. Harbour Bar and, yeah, in, yeah. in Port Rush and stuff. And, you know, I went after it, I went really flat for about a month because I've achieved what I really want to achieve. Don't get me wrong, I want to win tournaments and all that sort of stuff, but those that was the one that I wanted to win more than more than anything. And, you know, in Portrush right there at the moment, one of two of my friends from the Abaco Club are over there in Portrush we're playing this morning. 
and they sent me a picture of the cabinet because the the claret my replica claret jug and my replica senior jug are sitting beside each other in the cabinet they sent me a picture of it this morning and um, you know it's it's pretty cool so to to achieve that um not many people have done it before in history and stuff was you know i had to really sit down and try and figure out well what do i want to do now and um it took me a while but I want to win more. That's why. That's why I go to the range. That's why I practice as hard as I do because I want to win more. There's nothing, no matter how old you are. You know, out in the Chapman's Tour here, it's all friendly banter and all that sort of stuff. On Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, whatever. But then, as soon on a three-day tournament, as soon as it comes to Friday morning, everybody reverts back to being a tour pro. And yeah. uh, you know, we got some seriously good tour pros out here in the Chapman's Tour. So you know, you go back into that competitive spirit. It's the competition that we all thrive on, mm-hmm. and. No matter should it be one of our majors, should it be our regular tour events, Champions Tour events, it doesn't matter. We we, we want to win. We want to put ourselves in the position on a back nine on a Sunday where if you make a mistake, it hurts. And believe me, the competition out here is unbelievable. Most people think the Champions Tour is, you know, we play whatever sixty seven hundred yard courses, flags in the middle of the greens, and, and greens running at nine ten on the stint meter. But for those that know, no. it's it's seventy one seventy two, and if the pins are the flags are say four off the left in a regular PGA Tour event. We're six off the left, and the greens run between twelve and thirteen every week on the on the uh, on the on the stint meter. Um, and the, the but the big difference out here in Champions Tour is that we don't have much rough because you know as we're all getting older, our club head speed isn't enough to generate to dig it out of that thick rough. So that would be the main difference. But the guys can flat out play. I mean, they really can. And you see the scores, and it would indicate you think, oh well, that's an easy course. That's an easy. it's not that way at all. And that was one of the big things that took me a bit of time to adjust to coming out in the Champions Tour was three rounds. You know, you got to get after. Yeah. If you shoot a level bar, you know, the tournament's over. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's get ready for next week. It's it's a completely different mindset. And that's why I think you see a lot of wonderful players with great PGA Tour history coming out to play here. And then they struggle for a little bit. They, they can't quite get it because all of a sudden your course management changes completely. You know, the flags that... You don't go for that you would play away from. You try and play smart, which I find very difficult a lot of the time, but you try and play smart. But that's no good. Guys are going right out. Guys are making birdies. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to win out here. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I played the Monday Pro-Am out here this week at Timaquana, and the, they renovated the course in the offseason since you've been here. And it's lengthened. It's longer. And those tee boxes are not moved up. They are not moved no, up anywhere. It's not. <laughs> the, the prime example of that is, you know, the course this week is wonderful. The renovation they've done is, is, is one of the greens are really firm being new greens, which are going to be. There's roll-offs everywhere. So if you do miss the greens, if you get a little bit of wind, it's going to be really tough. But... Going back to your point there, Firestone, where we play um, our players' championship at senior players, it's the same course that we that we yeah. played. You know, we we're, we're not up on any tees. It's the same course we play when I used to go and play WGCs and all that sort of stuff. There, it's exactly the same golf course, the same rough, the same tees, the same same everything, and it's still an unbelievable test. So going back to 2011 Open Championship, I cannot imagine you're tired of talking about that one yet. So uh, you had a conversation with Bob Rotella at mm-hmm. one point that week. Mm-hmm. What was that conversation? What did that change for you? I have, through my career, spent a, a lot of time with different mental coaches. I think it's a, it's a huge part of professional golf because everybody out here can play and you're always looking for a little bit of an edge. And um, I've destroyed many. And I've, had, <laughs> I've had help from a few. Um, but Dr. Bob has been wonderful with me on and off for, for years and, and, and what have you. And, and, you know, that particular week, the week before up in, uh, we were playing, uh, where we were up in Scotland, where Castle Stewart 
And I just absolutely ripped it off everywhere, and I putted like a like Stevie Wonder. You know, I just couldn't make a putt anywhere, and all sorts of stuff. So I came down to the open, and which was ran right out the week after. We were on the plane coming down there, so when I came in on uh, after Castle Stewart on a Sunday, where it didn't quite play so well, very frustrated. And uh, Cooch, Matt Kutcher was in there, and his wife in the players' lounge as well. Before we all got a private flight going down to St George's. And um, we took in a little bit of alcohol and I ended up having way too much. And co- I don't know which one who was worse, Coocher myself. But anyway, <laughs> we got down there and I was just so frustrated. I would go up and hit balls and just flush it again, but wouldn't even bother going to the putting green because it was putting so poorly. And Dr. Bob got me on there on oh, Wednesday afternoon. And he got me doing one of his old drills where get your little wedge out and, and putt with one ball around the green, making the ball roll. And then all of a sudden I started getting a little bit of touch and a little bit of feel back in again. And um, oh, this is a little bit, little bit different. And then I went out to play, and things transpired. I won. I didn't lead putting by any stretch of the imagination, but I actually I you were hitting it that good. I was hitting it that good. I think I finished twenty eighth or something in putting. It was not a bad week, but it wasn't holding everything. So Doc has helped me immensely over the years, and um, you know he's a, he's a wonderful man, and and hence why he's probably the number one in our sport. Of of and it's easy to see when you do work with him. It's easy to see why um, he's so good. A simple. It's we 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 all try to intend to as golfers make our sport more difficult than it needs to be at times. You know we're all seeking that technical side of things, and you know I'm as bad as anybody. I watch Instagram and, th- and see something on there and just say, "Oh, I'm going to go and try that tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> I am that at idiot. Your level? Oh yeah, I'm that idiot. Oh, oh that looks good, <laughs> and then that doesn't work. But you know, Doctor Bob just he, he one challenge. All that stupid, simple uh, sounding stuff. It actually really does work. It works. I struggle with making it stick like yeah. it can work oh yeah even at, at your guys level too it seems like you need the refreshers you need to train your brain Most the same definitely. way you train your golf yeah. swing have you figured any of that out over the years oh god i haven't figured anything out <laughs> but yeah you do need that refresher you do need that um little bit because when you do it you think oh why why have i forgotten about doing this you know picking the smallest target picking the leaf on the tree as opposed to a tree all those little bits and pieces and you know to gain control, you give up control and, and let the putter flow and all that. And you tend to forget these those sort of things. And it's very easy in our sport to to go back into looking, f- if you're not playing so well, look at it te- what, technically if you're doing something wrong. it's not That's not always the case. Usually it's mental when you get to our level and out here, you know, and where you've got to, you know, just free it up and let it go to your target and accept where it goes. Acceptance is the big thing. If you can't accept where the ball goes, then you're going to struggle uh, from the get-go so you've got to really just let it go and see what you've got and do the best you can do with that week I wanted to ask you this because you've been heavily involved in the Ryder Cup for for many years you captained the Ryder Cup and we haven't really had a chance to talk to a European Ryder Cup captain about this since it all happened but what do you make of, of the drama that has gone down with the captaincy over the past year and yeah uh, is it was it avoidable is it foreseeable and and I have a lot of questions related to that but what's your reaction to how it all went down Disappointment more than anything, um, you know, as a previous Ryder Cup, and I was I was part of the committee that selected uh, Henrik and, and uh, as as Ryder Cup captain. Disappointment in what happened, yet at the same time, nothing nothing ill towards Henrik. Henrik's a good friend of mine, and um, you know, it's the same with that whole that whole live scenario. If if the guys want to go, that's fine. I got no issues with the guys going at all. You know, they they they've obviously been paid huge amounts of money and what have you. Because if you think about what they're getting paid you know you get you double that on top of their taxes and what have you that they're 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 gonna have to make double that or whatever on tour which is a lot of wins you know you're looking you're looking at a tiger-esque type of career even 
will tag her over many years. But um, you know, you're looking at that sort of level of performance, which not many people actually get to that level. So, you know, to go there and and do it, that's fine. But I just wish, wish it had happened before his selection as Ryder Cup captain. It just, it's a little bit of a. Do you think there was any foul play in terms of the price going up when once he accepted the captaincy? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not yeah. privy to that information, right. so so I don't know. But, you know, it was disappointing because I'm sure Henrik would have made a wonderful Ryder Cup captain. That being said, um, you know, we have a brilliant Ryder Cup captain in there in Luke Donald. His record were former world number one, a very successful Ryder Cup player. He's, he's very thorough. He's very down to minute details and I'm sure he'll do a wonderful job as well. It was just a, a little bit of a black mark on the on the whole scenario. It was disappointing as a former Ryder Cup myself. It was a disappointing the scenario that played out. Well and as a golf fan, the Ryder Cup's my favorite event and it's it's just Yeah, there's nothing it, like it. It's nothing like it and, and it's the but it's the pinnacle of competition for me and it's the one with no money ironically yeah, for yeah, the players exactly. and but it's it's the one i care about the most who wins and it's it's it it's is. part of the main reason why i became a golf fan in the 1990s right yeah you and- know <laughs> you know I, I i was down uh at home and and the Abercrombie club and winding bay in bahamas last week and i was watching the president's cup you know i sat there and watched the whole thing and it was the american team were outstanding again the internationals came back but it, it was exciting and you know i haven't been to a president's cup but the Ryder Cup just seems that little bit, little bit more, a little bit more feisty, a little bit more, a little bit more niggle, a little bit. And uh, I'm not, I'm not oh, yeah. demeaning no, no. the President's Cup at all by any stretch of the imagination. But the Ryder Cup's just that little bit more niggly. The uh, the American team has been a, a punching bag for jokes for for many many years. I think for a lot of times it seems to have been subsided. Ever since the task force was a, a, a thing that a lot of golf fans poked a lot of fun at. Looking back at it, I know you're not. You're. I'm just getting your perspective from the European side. It seems like it's been rather effective in the development and the and the uh, system they've used. I'm wondering yeah. what your reaction is to how the U.S. team has evolved. Over yeah, the I think they they the task force has obviously worked. What I think they did was take a look at the blueprint that the European guys used, and then thought, well, maybe that's working. So maybe we should try a little bit of that. <laughs> now the internationals are doing that. Over yeah, the yeah. Uh, you know, it's for a long time. You know the, the the PGA Tour is a little bit different. The PGA Tour is it seems to be when you look at it, a little bit more about individuals. If you look at the European Tour, you know they go to a European Tour event. You go to the local restaurant, you'll see tables of eight, ten players dining together. You don't see that in the PGA Tour A because there's more restaurants and B there's more options to do what you're doing. But you go to some places in the European Tour events, you know if you walk into a certain restaurant, you're going to see tables of a lot of players. So because of that, there's always been a little bit maybe more camaraderie in the on the European Tour um, over the years. Now, that has changed uh, in recent years with the Ryder Cup because you see a lot of great friendships and great partnerships being formed out there, like Jordan and Justin, for example, things like that, like Xander and Patrick Cantillay, you know, good buddies and good friends. They obviously socialise a lot. That didn't always happen back in the day when we were playing Ryder Cup. So it's it's changed a lot. And I think uh, Zinger, uh, Paul Azer, deserves a lot of credit for that as well because his little pod system where he put the guys together and stuff for uh, Valhalla, that, that worked. That was the first, I think that was the first real breakthrough of, of whenever... The American guys seem to pull together a little bit more. And they veered away from that and yeah, they've kind of come back and to it. And they've come back form. to it again. Yes. Yeah. What do you think, and either you can answer this as if you were the captain of this team or just what do you think in general? What would you be open to having live players, the European live players, as part of the team? Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I'm a journalist. I, I asked yeah, the yeah, tough ones. I know. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard one. Right now, as we stand in the middle, I don't think so. I don't think. 
it's a, it's a pretty sad situation where we are right now in, in in the world of golf. You know, you've got your established PGA Tour and you've got the DP World Tour and you've got now you've got Live come in and they're trying to change things and and they're trying to change make the the game a little bit more their product is a little bit more oh, towards the fans a little bit more modern what have you and that's fine that's okay but you know the tours have had to make a stand it's like any any company trying to defend itself they've got they've got to make a stand and unfortunately you know at the moment those guys are ruled ineligible to to be to be part of that team and you know if i wish all of this had been i wish a lot of people had sat down and spoke before we all got to this position round the table and, and try and figure some way out because it's the fans and the teams that are going to lose out to it you know because you don't see you're currently not going to see a Dustin Johnson playing in in in, in the Ryder Cup. You know, Dustin's obviously still one of the best players in the world. As a lot of those live guys, yeah. You know, he was he was uh, amazing at Whistling Straits. Uh, that's DJ. But uh, it, I'm just throwing him out there. Not uh, no disrespect to any of the rest of the guys that would be on the team. It's just it's going to make it. Maybe you, you want to see the best players in the world going against each other and. That may not be the case going forward, which is which is sad for the for the the whole for majors for um, for Ryder Cups for everything. But it is what it is. The the the, the animosity between uh, Live and and the other tours at the moment is is disappointing. But as I said, the tours are trying to protect themselves. And does that make sense in your mind as a, as a tour player yourself that has played on both tours? Does the policy, the hardline policy uh, of this make sense to you as a player? And, and for the listeners that don't understand how the structure works, like why the tour would do that, it, you know, kind of help help explain that as well. Yeah, well, you know, the tours are protecting their their rights, their their players. You know, when, when you get your tour card, you then sign up to a membership of whatever tour that may be should it be the pga tour should it be dp world tour you get your card and you abide by these rules and if you abide by these rules then you you get all the benefits that come with being a member of that organization now in these rules there's certain things you cannot do and unfortunately the guys have decided to go to live which break the rules the world is full of rules. There's consequences for for breaking the rules. Like, as I said, I'm not saying it's wrong for those guys to go to live, but there was always going to be consequences. All those guys that went to live, they would have been very well aware that there was a little bit of hassle coming their way whenever they they went. That's pretty easy to see with the way the media has been and and the reporting on it. And it's a really difficult scenario. A lot of those guys there are my good friends that have gone to live to play on live, and uh, it's a really awkward situation that those guys have chosen to do it, but at the same time, they've had to give up their benefits that they have lost through the PGA Tours. You know, those guys have made their names and their careers via the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour. That's how they've generated their, should we say, legacy, how they've generated their, their value, their value, their, their names that people would recognize. Going to a rival tour, which is trying to play in the same countries as what the PGA Tour is playing, the DP World Tour, that's against the members' regulations, so that's the easy. That's the easiest way of phrasing it. Because I'm not going to say, you know, live are all bad, um, because they have some really good. I haven't been to an event, but from what I watch and what I read, um, the guys all love it. The guys all really enjoy it. But at the same time, you have your, your established tours, PJ Tour, DP World Tour. Those guys won on those tours and made their names, made their made their 
living on those tours so it's a it's a it's a hard yeah. one it's a real hard one to to find out what the right answer is yeah. you were offered i believe a, a commentator's <laughs> yes, <I was>. uh, <laughs> position what was the decision making process like for you on that on they that gave me a really generous um seems to be a lot offer. of those offers going around <laughs> yeah they gave me a really generous offer to to go to commentary and i've done a little bit of commentary and i really enjoy it i'm a little bit i'm a little bit like david Ferry. i'm a little bit out of left field you know i'm, I'm sort of not afraid to say what I think a lot of the time. And, and There's a lot of room for that in golf of players that will just be yourself yeah. on the air and don't do an impersonation of yeah. an announcer, right? Yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah. yeah, so I'll be a little bit different. And then the offer came through there that started this year. And basically, I went to the tour, the PGA Tour, because, uh, you know, I'm I'm a fortunate and proud to be a member of the Champions Tour out here. I love the Champions Tour. And said, listen, this is I've been offered to do this. Can I do this? And the request came back and it was denied um, because... For obvious reasons, they said, Darren, if you go and do that, then oh, you're going to have to, you know, speak favorably about live, and that's not part. Again, you'll be then breaking our rules, which I totally understood. It was like having your cake and eating it, and yeah, all that sort of stuff. Tough. And you know, that'd have been a tough spot. Yeah, for that, you. that would have been a real hard one. <laughs> you know, I just the, basically, if I said yes to it, um, then that's me hanging up my clubs. You know, it wasn't a go play. It was a yeah. It was a sit sit in the booth and get on the mic. And I wasn't ready to do that. I'm not ready to do that because and one of my thoughts earlier in the year, whenever that was, when I was made that very generous offer was, if I do this, I can never win the Senior British Open. So Now you've won it. Please don't go to live now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's really, I, I, I can't talk to enough players about all this stuff yeah, because no, you guys are the stakeholders in this and the fans are big stakeholders yeah, here Of course too, they are. It's, it's, of course they are. You know, I'm... You know, I watch what people say, and then Rory, I think, said last week. He said, "So we need to get around a table and 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 talk a little bit." And then you've got Adam Scott saying, "Live isn't pure evil," and you know, at the same time, I'm a I'm a huge PGA Tour fan and DP World fan because I grew up playing on those tours, and and PGA Tour has been very good to me um, as well over the years because I was playing on the European Tour, coming over and playing over. I was a member over here as well, so. You know, I've had the benefit of playing on my home tour, the DP World Tour, which I've loved, and the PJ Tour, and reaping all the benefits of doing that. So then to see Liv come along, it's a really awkward yeah. position. You know, if if I'd have been, I don't know, 43, 44, and Liv had to come to me and offer me whatever a contract, I can't honestly say tell you what I would have done. I might have gone. I, I, I don't know. Thankfully, I was 53 or 54, so not wanted, which is wonderful. <laughs> What would reconciliation look like at this point, though? I, I'm of the of the mind that I think the tour has made their stance. They've drawn a hard line, and I don't think you can come back to the table now. I, I just can't picture a world where reconciliation works. Neither can I. Yeah. At the moment, I, I'm, I'm... I've heard Rory call for it, and I don't know what he's calling for. I'm by far not smart enough to come up <laughs> yeah. by, with any sort of solution. I'm like, I'm like you could, I can't... I don't know what, what it would look like, because there's been... There's been a lot of mud slung in all directions. There's been a lot of misinformation has been put out there in all directions. Um, lawsuits. I mean, there's personal. That's very personal I mean, to people. Yeah, you know, lawsuits are an American thing. They just, you know, if you're not, I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't see it. I can't see how they can come to, how they can coexist under the current situation yeah. i really can't there has to be big changes somewhere or another if, if, if it's gonna if it's gonna happen you know and this yes yeah, just it's probably norman <laughs> i would think that'd well, be a starting point he's polarizing yeah greg is polarizing you know he's been a 
former world number one. He's 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 got his opinions. You know, he tried to do this world tour back in the day, and uh, it didn't quite work with the PGA Tour. Um, so, you know, Greg is polarizing. Moving on to a different one. Uh, I've heard this. You've I've heard this story that I have not been able to get out of my mind oh for many many years. Oh dear! I believe it was uh, on the driving range in Germany in the early two thousands. You are warming up uh, near Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. Do you know what story I'm oh, talking yeah. about? Oh, yeah. Can you please oh, tell yeah. it? I need it on this podcast. <laughs> so, Tiggy and I have been very good friends for a long, long time, and you know we both worked at Butch Harmon um, out in Vegas, and um, you know whenever we there, the three of us worked for dinner. Um, it would always be either Butch or myself would pay for dinner because Tiger was cobwebs in his wallet. It's sort of, I don't know. I don't know. It's a rumor that he has a wallet because nobody's ever really seen it. So we would go out and we we would get on really, really well and have a lot of fun. And he used to call me Double F, and I used to call him B dash 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 C H or whatever. So he came over to Europe. So when he came over to Europe, he would come walking onto the range, and usually if there was a spot beside me, he would put the bag down. Uh, Stevie would put the bag down and hit balls beside me. He'd say, well, how you doing? FF, um, blah, 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 that sort of stuff. <laughs> so back in the day in Germany, um, it was Deutsche Bank Tournament of the European, what was it called? I can't remember, one of our big tournaments over there, TBC Europe or whatever it was. Tiger was uh, put his bag down and started hitting some balls. Now, back in that, those days in Germany, they weren't allowed to use certain pesticides on the on the ground and what have you. So uh, unlike the perfectly manicured courses you have these days, it, it was good, but it wasn't quite what it is today. So because they couldn't use certain pesticides, there was worm caps coming up everywhere, and the turf was a little bit damp, not wasn't, wasn't firm, wasn't crisp or anything. And Tiggy would, was going through his whole bag, started with his low blade, started and then into nine irons, and then he'd hit a few and turn around and give me a little bit of shit, give me a little bit of abuse, go back hitting some more balls and all that sort of stuff. And he flushed every shot. I mean, just pured every shot. Didn't miss one, just pured it. And, um, you know, he finished He's finished off with his driver. Obviously, he teed, the, teed those up, but finished off with his driver and stuff. And about 45 minutes later, he says, okay, okay. Um, FF, I'm away, see you, bye, and off he, off he wandered. So I looked down at his divot pattern, and all it was was the grass was still green, and it was all brushed. It was, there was no divots, and he pured every shot. Now, some of your listeners might not quite understand that, but that is, to this day, the single most impressive thing that I have ever seen in my career. I will never see it again. Not one divot, not nothing, just absolutely, absolutely pured every shot. I mean, just off the charts. I love that story. At that stage, he was he was obviously number one in the world, and, and by, by long, but he was just incredible. He, he just pured it. I, I I can't get enough of that story. Yeah. It's it. I, I go True back story. and read that golf digest bit like every like, every chance I wow. get. So. It's unreal. He was that good. Well, you got some more good Tiger stories too. But match play in two thousand was that the year you beat him, right? And that uh, you guys had breakfast together that morning. Yeah, we did. You we said did. something to him about his celebrations, if I remember. Oh right. yeah. So <laughs> so I'm sitting here, Tiggy sitting beside me. The other side of Tiger was Butch Harmon. The other side of me was Chubby Chandler. The other side of Butch Harmon was uh, Mark Steinberg. And the other side of Chubby was my caddy, Billy Foster. And the other side of Mark Steinberg was Stevie Williams. And we're all having breakfast and, and um, sitting there. And I said to him, I said, now listen, if you chip in today, because a couple of years before, you remember at Memorial, he hold that chip and he started running around like he's pulling a toilet chain all the way around, <laughs> around the grave. I said, if you do that today, I will slap you in the face. 
to which he, he, his head was down his plate and he lifted his head up and those big white teeth came out and he looked at me. He says, you can F off you FF, you couldn't F and catch me anyway. <laughs> that was the start to our morning. Oh, gosh. I, I feel like you've got a lot of stories over the years. Yeah, yeah, I have a few. But Tiggy, you know, he's he's always been um, so cool to me and so good to me. When I won the Open in 2011, he was texting me every day because he was out with his leg injury and uh, our back injury. I can't remember which one. And he said, I was watching D- DC. He says, I was watching FF. Don't be careful over there. Stay away from that bit over there. Go over there. And he was texting me every day and trying to help me every day. That was, that was pretty cool. And you left a note in your locker after that? After the WGC at Lacoste, he left a note on the uh, local rules that week. He says, congrats, be proud. P.S. You're still a FF. <laughs> T.W.T. <laughs> That was not a phase in Tiger's life when he was as uh, friendly towards other players in that regard. This, no, you, you know, know it, that was You're that was a period on. of his time when he was dominating and, and doing everything. And everybody seemed to be a little bit more, I don't know, whenever Tiggy's name got up there, he seemed to have that effect on, on people. I didn't really, I didn't care. I just, you know, I'd give him some abuse and try and play and what have you. And I just, through my time playing with him and, and practicing with him in Vegas, and obviously got very close to him and I was... Fortunately, he would help me out any time I asked him for a little bit of advice and a little bit of help. He was he was there for me and, and always offered it. Hmm. Last one, I, I should have worked this earlier when we were talking about the Champions Tour, but I, w- I played in the Monday Pro-Am this week and I went to the reception afterward and saw the amount of players that were in there. And I it just looked, it was starting to click to me as far as how uh, how fun I'm sure the Champions yes. Tour is yeah, for yeah. you guys. And there yeah. seems to be, you're talking about the Americans kind of going to dinner on their own, Europeans doing something different. There seems to be a real camaraderie amongst the players out on the Champions Tour. Is that yes, fair to say? The, the, yes, there really is. You know, we we are a little bit different. We're all obviously post-50. We've all been through all our time on, on, on the tours. Whereas out here, you come out here and everybody supports the Champions Tour. We realize how fortunate we are as, as 50-year-old-plus guys to be playing on a tour where we can still make a very good living, still compete, playing some of the best courses, with wonderful sponsors, with wonderful fans whenever they come out and play, and we're still very, very fortunate to be able to do that. So, you know, unlike other tours where the pros maybe only play nine holes in a pro-am, but we don't. We play 18, and then we go and have lunch with them, we have drinks with them, we go to the, the, the pro-am drinks parties. We just, it's a different scenario out here. You know, the, the players really respect uh, Miller Brady, our, our commissioner of our tour, and Jimmy Gabrielson and the guys, and that, that they're all trying to cultivate... Um, an atmosphere where the sponsors want to keep on supporting us. Without the sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, you know, we are part of the PGA Tour, and we're part, proud to be part of the PGA Tour. And this is a tour where it's not... A lot of people think this tour is a little bit ceremonial. You know, the guys just go out there and have a little bit of fun. Yes, to a certain degree, but it's also... You want to kick the ass of the guys down beside you. Want to, you want to win, and, and and that's the thing. So we're, we're very... Um, very thankful to Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour for giving us the opportunity to do so. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Best of luck this week. Hope to do it again sometime. Yes, sir. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.